This podcast transmission contains childish language, adult content, psychological nudity, listener discretion is advised. And now for Australia's most exciting podcast, Life Down Under. Please welcome soon to be National Hall of Fame inductee and this evening's podcast host, Gray Stanton. So I would plead with you to look behind. So listen to what's been said today and look behind what these laws are really about and where the vaccine passports lead. The vaccine passports, along with the digital control system, are the end of human liberty in the West. And as I said, this referendum on November 28th will be a very important signal to the world as to whether the most educated and intelligent populations in the world can see through the ruse of the plague laws into what is really happening and step up to protect our rights and the future of human civilization. So this is not about democracy versus fascism. This is about freedom versus slavery. Because when you institute a complete digital financial control, you are talking something about something much worse than any fascism we have seen yet um, in our history. So please vote no on November 28th for yourself, for your family, for your right to preserve and grow family wealth, your right to have health freedom, transportation freedom, labor freedom, but also to preserve your role as a lighthouse for democracy worldwide. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode on Life Down Under. You are not going to want to miss tonight's episode, let me assure you. That last soundbite was of Catherine Austin Fitz speaking to the Swiss people at a conference in Switzerland dated 12th of November 2021. Since 1998 to date, Catherine is the president of Solari Incorporated, publisher of the Solari Report and managing member of Solari Investment Advisory Services, LLC. Catherine served as Managing Director and Member of the Board of Directors of the Wall Street Investment Bank, Dylan Reed & Co. Incorporated as Assistant Secretary of Housing and Federal Housing Commissioner at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development in the first Bush administration and was the President of Hamilton Securities Group Incorporated. Catherine has designed and closed over $25 billion of transactions and investments to date and has led portfolio and investment strategy $300 billion of financial assets and liabilities. Catherine's academic qualifications include the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania MBA, 1978, majoring in finance, the University of Pennsylvania, Bachelor of Arts, 1974, majoring in history, Yale and China Language Institute, Hong Kong, majoring in Mandarin, Bennett College, Associate Arts degree in 1970, majoring in English, Summer schools included Harvard University in 1969 and Stanford University in 1970, followed by sabbatical at MIT in the fall of 1995. Slavery in Australia has existed in various forms from colonisation in 1788 to the present day. European settlement relied heavily on convicts sent to Australia as punishment for crimes and forced into labour and often leased to private individuals. Our right to freedom from slavery and forced labour, as it's written under the Attorney General's Department of the Australian Government, has been clearly usurped by all state premiers and territory leaders with the complicit behaviour by our Prime Minister has the authority and power to shut them all down. 
Instead, Scott Morrison continues to aid and abet these criminals that have used false data to lock down the country for almost two years, when in fact, it is the vaccinated who are the Delta variant. For those listeners struggling with the science, that means those foolish enough or have succumbed through coercion to have allowed themselves to be administered a proven, unrestricted bioweapon, it is your adverse reactions that are the Delta variant. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the only choice left, freedom or slavery. The vaccine passports create a platform for a digital transaction system that documents and tracks all transactions. Once combined with a central bank-controlled digital currency, they have the ability to block transactions. To prevent the final implementation of this planned control system, we must be ready and willing to sacrifice in the short term. We must be willing to say, no, I will not comply, no matter what the consequence, or we will lose even our most basic freedoms. Catherine Austin Fitz has spent decades exposing corruption and fraud within the banking industry and government, and corruption and fraud are driving forces in the COVID pandemic. We are seeing a shift of billions of dollars of liability to families for healthcare, disability, workmen's compensation, unemployment, and death as experimental COVID injections are mandated, while drug makers, doctors, and corporations have been released from all liability. At present, there is no legally valid vaccine mandate. The shots are still under emergency use authorization, and there's no official document from government, be it in the form of legislation, law, or regulation that grants a legal basis for the mandate. The United States Occupational Safety and Health Administration also has not published any rule regarding the mandating of vaccines by private companies. The same can be stated of Australia as well. Typically, my conversations with experts about the COVID pandemic revolve around the infection and its treatment. Tonight, we listen to finance guru, Catherine Austin Fitz, whom will tackle the COVID topic from a different angle. Catherine has spent decades exposing corruption and fraud, both within the banking industry and government, and corruption and fraud are driving forces in the COVID scandemic as well. According to Catherine Austin Fitz, your health and personal finances simply cannot be separated. The two are really like two sides of the same coin, and families who don't learn to navigate through the lies of the medical and finance industries can end up in very bad shape, both health-wise and financially. And let's not forget the injection fraud. One of the most egregious crimes of this scandemic is the mandating of these experimental gene therapies while simultaneously giving the drug companies full immunity. They are not liable for anything, no matter how many people are injured or die. A person can be forced into taking this injection and suffer permanent disability requiring millions of dollars of care, and the patient is responsible for all these costs, even though they were coerced into it. So we need to ask ourselves the question, ladies and gentlemen, is there conspiracy blackmail going on? While I believe many employers and school administrators are simply ignorant and have fallen victim to the most successful propaganda campaign in modern history, Catherine Austin Fitz suspects they know exactly what they are doing. Only one choice remains, as I've already stated, freedom or slavery. To prevent the final implementation of this planned control system, we must be ready and willing to sacrifice in the short term. Everyone must be willing to say, no, I will not comply, 
no matter what the consequence, whether if you take away my pension, if you fire me, if you discredit me, and I can never work again in my profession, that's what it's going to take to keep even our most basic freedoms. According to federal statistics in the United States, the wealth of the bottom half of the population has increased during the pandemic due to housing inflation. Catherine Austin Fitz states, quote, I assure you that is a ruse, close quote. With respect to liquid assets, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% to 80% of Americans have virtually no reserve stores of cash at all. And this is the same across Australia as well. So why must we reject vaccine passports? Well, the answer is simple. Some suspect central bank digital currencies are the crux of this plot. And they are a firm believer that decentralized cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are a powerful alternative and important to counter the central bank control of the financial system. Catherine Austin Fitz disagrees, pointing out that all cryptocurrencies operate on systems controlled by the existing system of governance. While government does not control private keys and decentralized elements, they still have plenty of ways to get to the private data of targeted individuals. Catherine says, quote, I've watched lots of people get subpoenas and have the FBI arrive at their door, and it's amazing what they will hand over and go along with, close quote. In short, government's ability to deliver on a threat when they want something from you is profound, which makes it near impossible to resist. Vaccine passport is a ticket to financial enslavement. As explained by Catherine Austin Fitz, the vaccine passports create a platform for a digital transaction system that documents and tracks all transactions. Once combined with a central bank controlled digital currency, they will have the ability to block transactions. If government doesn't want you to purchase anything more than five miles from your home, they have the ability to prevent you from doing so. If they don't want you buying pizzas, they have the ability to prevent you from buying pizza. It's very chilling and it communicates the control they think they're going to have when this is over. But to get that control, first you need the entire passport system to come into being. That's basically the information grid that the central bank's digital currencies can then plug into. So here are two other questions that I have for you, ladies and gentlemen. What can you do now? And how can the average person resist the diabolical plan? Well, one strategy would be to move to a state or a country that has made vaccine passport requirements illegal. Another strategy is to simply refuse the passport altogether, no matter what the ramifications. This goes for those who have gotten one or two COVID jabs as well. To maintain a valid passport, you will have to take boosters. How many are you willing to take? How many times are you willing to risk your health and life? At some point, you'll have to make the same decision as everyone who is unvaccinated, freedom or slavery. What this means is we'll also need to create alternate and parallel systems for everything we'll be denied access to if we don't have a valid vaccine passport. This includes education, food production, services of various kinds, healthcare, and economy. These parallel systems will be crucial anyway, as entitlement programs such as Social Security and Medicare look like they'll be out of money by 2028. And as these programs vanish, they'll take the drug industry down with them as they are drug companies' primary revenue source. One of the things that Catherine Austin Fitz states, quote, I discovered there was a whole community of people who did RV living because they didn't trust any jurisdiction. They wanted the ability to get up and go, and that group has been growing steadily." Close quote. There is no legal vaccine mandate in Australia. 
Recently in the United States, President Joe Biden issued an unconstitutional presidential directive that companies with 100 employees or more are required to mandate the COVID injection for all staff members. The penalty can go as high as $700,000 per incident. The exact penalties are being mandated by all states and territories Australia-wide. Such stiff fines could quickly bankrupt all but the wealthiest companies if they don't comply. However, even here, there is choice, because as it stands, there is no legal rule or law dictating vaccination rules for private companies. This is genocide, ladies and gentlemen. There is no temporary emergency rule. There is no document. If I'm a company and you have no law, no regulation, no emergency regulation, you can't legislate law by press conference and you can't apply civil money penalties out of thin air. I don't know on what basis in law you can apply a civil money penalty to a violation of a non-existent law and non-existent rule. Now, I'm not saying you can't find a judge and threaten him and scare him into going along with that, but I must tell you, if there's anything worth litigating, it's that. So who's behind it all? As for who's behind this gigantic scheme, it's hard to say. I believe the closest we can get the identity of these criminals is the private shareholders of Vanguard. Because Vanguard owns most of the companies of the world. Catherine Austin Fitz believes it's the private owners of the central banks of the world. She explains, quote, Vanguard is essentially owned by itself. So the question is, who controls it behind the scenes? Catherine has an online book called Dylan Reed and the Aristocracy of Stock Profits. Catherine tried to publish it on hard copy, not once, not twice, but three times, ladies and gentlemen. And each time, she's been threatened. The last time, they threatened somebody in her family. Catherine's nickname for the committee that runs the world is Mr. Global. She admits she doesn't fully understand how it works at the top, but she does know that the decision-making is highly centralised. It's most likely run by committee, and the members are the prisoners of 50 years of secrecy. Have you heard of this? Blasts in China, all within a week. 10 explosions, 10 bomb blasts in one country in less than a week. Between October 21st and October 27th, there were at least 10 mysterious explosions throughout China, killing at least 13 people and injuring many more. These mysterious explosions came just weeks before Xi Jinping was anointed as a revered leader of the CCP, preparing him for next year's CCP Congress, which is scheduled for next October. This gives Xi less than a year to make good on his commitment to absorb Taiwan into the CCP and unite all of China under communism. And allowing this to happen would be handing the world economy over to the communist Chinese. The CCP deploys massive fishing fleets to illegally plunder protected areas, such as the Galapagos Islands, because they are hungry. The CCP is undergoing a food shortage crisis, warning people to stock up on essential items and adopting laws against food waste and binge eating. The CCP has been buying massive amounts of farmland in Australia and the United States. Handing over the world economy to the communist Chinese would be national suicide for both nations. 
who have already been infiltrated at the highest levels of government by the CCP. A handful of Republican senators visited Taiwan to vow U.S. support. The U.S. Secretary of State has said that the U.S. will defend Taiwan. And Australia's Minister for Defense has vowed to back the U.S. and Taiwan against China. But who currently has control over the Australian military? Or the U.S. military? The CCP's own woke American puppet, General Mark Milley, says that the U.S. is incapable of defending itself against China's hypersonic missile tech. PSYOPs something we have all been learning about firsthand. Many of us have read how they've done it in history, but today we are all witnessing in real time how the banking cartel is capable of orchestrating a world war. As China's housing giant Evergrande defaults on billions of dollars of debt, Goldman Sachs is busy buying up these garbage assets with U.S. taxpayer dollars. Goldman Sachs is bailing out the CCP with U.S. tax dollars, while the CCP is preparing to wage war against the U.S. By hook or by crook, the ethos of the communist Chinese is what the bankers want for their world government dream. Every individual connected to a central bank, controlled by a social credit score, and made to accept endless injections of unknown substances into their body. This is Greg Reese. We need a reset, ladies and gentlemen, but not the great reset. Many have pointed out that it's a mathematical inevitability that the central bank financial system will collapse. You cannot rack up debt in perpetuity. It's just a matter of when. As noted by Catherine Austin Fitz, we currently have a negative return on investment. But the financial system can certainly be re-engineered to a positive return on investment. However, to do that, we cannot allow corporations to function above the law. On the bright side, there are signs of positive change. There are signs of real change. However, it's still positive change. Catherine notes that for the first time in her life, she's seeing extraordinarily talented, well-educated people who have always been reluctant to rock the boat say they want out. They'd rather die than be enslaved by organized crime. The challenge for all of us is how can we swing our savings and our retirement savings to finance the creation of that new capacity? On one hand, you have students leaving school and needing to homeschool. On the other hand, you have teachers leaving schools because they don't want to get the injection. Every person's circumstances is different, but find a way to translate that yes into something productive. Be useful. That's what Catherine tried to do. She had a wonderful life as an investment banker, but she woke up and she couldn't continue. Catherine did billion dollar deals. She didn't know how to do a financial plan for somebody who had $25,000. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you can access the exclusive Solari Report content by signing up as a paid subscriber on Solari.com. A service like that of the Solari Report has never been more useful as trying to find the truth through mainstream media or Google 
or other Google-driven search engines has become virtually impossible. About 93% of all online searches are done through Google, which gives them near total monopoly over the information you see, and legacy media have barely spoken a true word over the past two years. So you need reliable sources that can keep you abreast of what's really going on. Furthermore, Catherine Austin Fitz says, quote, The other thing is what I'm hoping to be a part of is creating the best and highest possible learning speeds because this is a war. And nobody wins a war without great intelligence. So we have to help each other really jump the curve on a high learning speed and high intelligence. Close quote. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Catherine Austin Fitz. Please listen to what this courageous, remarkable woman has to say. And um, what do you think is happening economically as a result of all this? So uh, what is happening, I just published a huge study called The State of Our uh, Currencies. And what I describe is the fact that for many decades, the dollar has been the reserve currency. And uh, the system is what I would describe as long in the tooth. And the central bankers are trying to bring in a new system, but it's not ready to go yet. And what we're, we're in a period of great change and uncertainty where the central bankers are trying to keep the dollar system going and accelerate. So they're trying to lengthen the dollar system and then they're trying to accelerate bringing in the new system. And they have to bring in the new system without anybody quite realizing exactly what it is. So we've had a global reserve currency system, the dollar, and it needs to evolve and change, and it's long in the tooth. There's lots of unhappiness with the system, and the central bankers are trying to bring a new system. And to do it, they're trying to extend the old and accelerate the new, and it makes it a very chaotic thing since much of the new is being tested and tried and prototyped and it involves many different industries. So uh, I describe the new system as the end of currencies. So it's we're not bringing in a new currency, we're essentially bringing in a new transaction system that will be all digital and essentially end currencies as we know them. So what they're trying to do is involves essentially all the money on the planet. So it's big, it's complicated, it's messy. Um, and the challenge they have is how do you market a system that if people understood it, nobody would want. And of course, <laughs> the way you do that is with a healthcare crisis. And why is a healthcare crisis good for that? Because generally, if, if a few people want to control the many, the question is how can you you know, how can you herd all the sheep into the slaughterhouse without them realizing and resisting? So uh, the perfect thing is invisible enemies. So we had the war on terrorism, you know, with invisible terrorists. And then, then now a virus is perfect because it's invisible. You can't prove that it doesn't exist because it's visible, invisible. So invisible enemies are always the preferred one, particularly if they scare people. If you can use fear, and introduce significant fear, then people will need government to protect them from the invisible enemy. Then the second tactic, which is very effective, is divide and conquer. And so in the meantime, if you can use the media, the media plays a very important role. If you can turn men and women against each other and black and white against each other, and one of the reasons you import a lot of immigrants into, uh, into Europe is turn the general population against the immigrants, and then you need government to be in the middle and you know, so, so these are all 
whether it's divide and tactic or invisible enemies, these are all ways to institute fear and get people to go along with things. And of course, the invisible virus allows you to do enormous control mechanisms. You can stop people from gathering, you can stop people from organizing, you can stop people from getting together and talking about what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And if you digitize it with contract tracing, then you can control who's talking to whom. If you can get them to do all their work and education online, you can literally listen to everything they're saying. So you can, you can institute extraordinary amounts of surveillance all in the, you know, the theory that we're protecting you from the invisible virus. It's very clever, you know, and as you can see, it's working in with many people, not everybody, but many people. So to me, a lot, and, and I don't, I don't want to us, uh, underestimate the ability of the leadership to introduce pathogens that will kill people, and I don't want to suggest that people aren't getting sick, but um, essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people to buy into a solution before they see where it's ultimately going to go, because you're talking about a transaction system that is no longer a currency, it's a control system. So it's like a credit at the company store. If every central bank comes out with a digital central bank currency, they have the ability to turn your money on and off. So if you don't behave, that's it. And of course, as we know, they want to combine this with transhumanism, which means literally, you know, I take injections that can institute an, the equivalent of an operating system in my body. And so I'm hooked up to the financial system, literally, physically. To step back to the beginning a little bit, a little one. Sure. Is um, what is the actual effect of the lockdown measures? So what you're doing is you're trying to. I used to call the Patriot Act the Concentration and Control of Cash Flow Act, and this is a very similar process. You're trying to dramatically centralize economic and political control. So let me give you an example. We have a hundred small businesses on Main Street in a community. You declare them non-essential, shut them down. Suddenly Amazon and Walmart and the big box stores can come in and take away all the market share. In the meantime, the people on Main Street have to keep paying off their credit cards or their mortgage. So they're in a debt entrapment um, and they're desperate to get cash flow to cover basically their debts and their day-to-day -day expenses. In the meantime, you have the Federal Reserve institute a form of quantitative easing where they're buying corporate bonds and the, and the guys who are taking up the market share can basically finance at you know, 0 to 1% or the, their banks can at 0 to 1% when everybody in Main Street is paying 16 to 70% of their credit cards without income. So basically now you've got them over a barrel and you can take away their market share and generally they can't afford to do what they say because they're too busy trying to find money to feed their kids. In the 2016 election cycle, we saw the general population support candidates who represented populism in a variety of different ways. So Bernie Sanders was a populist relative to the other candidates. Donald Trump was a populist relative to the other candidates. And literally what the sort of global capital class realized was they had a problem that, that, you know, that could be solved by destroying the independent income of small business and, and sole practitioners and people who had independent forms of income. So if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a CPA and you have your own practice, you are generally going to 
you are going to support the populist candidates. And so the way to shut the populist candidates down is to shut off their income and support, which is you put Main Street out of business and then there's nobody to finance a Bernie Sanders or a Donald Trump. There's nobody to support him. Uh-huh. So, I mean, do, do, those, do the lockdown measures appear to you to be, it's more of an economic thing than a virus mitigation plan? So this is an economic war. And um, you've basically had sort of the top 1%. So since April, we've seen um, global billionaires increase their net worth by 27%. Now, what what that says is this has been a very successful global economic war, because what you're having is this sort of global capitalist class, and I shouldn't call it capitalism because it's not. It's much more economic totalitarianism. What you've seen is They've been able to consolidate fantastic amounts of economic wealth, not just by deleting the income of the middle class and consolidating it into their companies, but by significantly improving the wealth and power of the largest G7 developed countries and China vis-a-vis the emerging markets. So, um, you know, the, the the countries with the most advanced technology and the access to AI and software and to the sort of digital systems, including through space, are dramatically consolidating economic power vis-a-vis the weaker nations. So we're seeing a consolidation of economic power centralization, both into the the wealthier and the more powerful nations um, and and the the basically top 1% who control them. So I would describe the, you know, the what COVID-19 is, is a the institution of controls necessary to convert the planet from democratic process to technocracy. So what we're watching is a change in control and an engineering of new control systems. So think of this as a coup d'etat. It's much more like a coup d'etat um, than a virus. <laughs> So uh, for 20 some years in the United States, we've had a financial coup d'etat. And we knew at the end of 1995, a decision was made to move much of the assets and money out of the country. That was part of, of sort of bubbling the global economy with globalization. And they knew that once they'd finished moving all those assets, that they would have to consolidate and change the the fundamental system. So after the financial coup, you've stolen all the money in the pension funds, you've stolen all the money in the government, and now rather than turn and tell people, well, we stole your money, you need an excuse that will allow you to consolidate and change the fundamental system. And so you have a magic virus. (laughs) And the magic virus is, oh, you know, we have to fundamentally change the system. You know, thanks to the magic virus, there's no money in Social Security. Thanks to the magic virus, there's no money in the Treasury. You know, and you have your perfect magic excuse. Everything can be blamed on the virus. Yeah, yeah, the magic virus can, you know, it's amazing because because every implication of the financial coup has been magically solved by the magic virus. (laughs) It's quite, if you're a financial person and you look at the world through the mathematics of time and money, it's quite amazing that anybody believes it, but they do. Yeah, yeah right. Right. It's part, it's part of joining the, you know, what C.J. Hopkins calls the Covidian cult. You join the cult and you say, oh, yeah, 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 well, the magic virus took all the money from Social Security. Yeah. Magic virus caused our pension funds to, you know, not be sufficient. Blah, 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 blah. So, 
Um, what do you think the technocracy that we're being pushed towards is, look like? So technocracy, the technocracy that they're pushing towards is what is called transhumanism. So essentially what you do is you use injections to inject materials into the body that create the equivalent of an operating system. So everybody knows the idea of Microsoft causing you to download an operating system in your computer that gives Microsoft and a variety of other players a backdoor into your computer. And, and every month or two or three, you've got to update it because they're viruses, right? It's back to the magic virus that can solve all problems. And so, so this is a similar system for your body. You inject materials into your body that essentially create the equivalent of an operating system and a receiver, and you can literally hook everybody up to the cloud. And that includes hooking them up in a way that their transaction system, you know, the Bible calls it the mark of the beast, is one way people know this up. But you're, you're basically talking about being able to digitally identify and track people in connection with their financial transactions. So it's a world of zero, um, zero privacy. But more importantly, what's important to understand is you're, if, you, if you then institute one or more central bank cryptos, you're now talking about a system where every central bank in the world can shut you off individually from transacting if they don't like the way you're behaving. So many people are familiar with the social credit system in China. It's very similar. You're, you're basically, if you, if you install the smart grid in their car, their community, and now in their, literally in their body, you've got 24-7 surveillance. And if people don't do what you say and behave the way you want, uh, you know, they can and, and, and will shut off your money. So, and, and they'll also have spatial control. If they say you can't travel more than five miles, that's it, you, you know, because you're, you're in a complete digital control system and it's controlled by the central bankers through the money. We're digitizing everything, but it includes the human body as well and the human mind. So this system comes with complete control, not only of your ability to transact financially, which is hooked up to your body, but uh, very sophisticated mind control technology through the media and those cloud connections. So, so basically you're talking about hooking up into the Borg, if you will. And, um, and so transhumanism and technocracy go hand in hand. Now, I would describe this as a slavery system. So we're talking about shifting out of freedom where we have freedom to roam and freedom to say what we want into a complete control system 24-7, including mind control. Now, the challenge before us is if the, you know, sort of the committee that runs the world, my nickname being Mr. Global, if Mr. Global wants to go to a slavery system and we want to remain a human civilization, then we have a fundamental disagreement and that is the disagreement before us. Wow, what a remarkable amount of information we had there, ladies and gentlemen. Now for the access to the full interview that's production by Planet Lockdown, the full interview with Catherine Austin Fitz can be viewed at earthheroestv.com and we will place a, a link down in the description box for those of you that would like to view that 48-minute interview. In the words of David Rockefeller, ladies and gentlemen, we are on the verge of a global transformation. All we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order. What does the globalist's Great Reset really mean? It means the whole consciousness 
has to be taken away from humanity so that their intelligence is destroyed. According to them, people have to be converted to carbon copies. Their originality has to be destroyed. Otherwise, this whole neo-Nazi reset will be impossible. Klaus Martin Bormann Schwab and his merry band of sociopaths are doing something very, very wrong with humanity and for certain reasons. They want you to remain slaves. They want you to always be afraid and they want you to always be greedy. They want you to always be ambitious. They want you to always be competitive. They want you to be unloving. They want you to be full of anger and hatred. They want you to remain weak, imitative, obedient carbon copies. What is the antidote? Intelligence is naturally rebellious. Intelligence cannot be forced into any servitude. Intelligence is a very assertive individual. Intelligence cannot be converted into a mechanical imitation. If you are intelligent, you will solve all your problems yourself. Intelligence is enough to solve all problems. In fact, whatever problems are created in life, you have more intelligence than all those problems. Intelligence is intrinsic to life. Intelligence is a natural quality of life. Just as fire is hot and air is invisible and water flows downwards, so is life intelligent. Intelligence is not an achievement. You are born intelligent. Yet a person who has no understanding of this is continuously a victim of mind, of so many thoughts, of fake globalist narratives, because they have no insight to give them a center. Thinking is the absence of understanding. You think because you don't understand. When understanding arises, thinking disappears. So what is understanding? Understanding is pure intelligence. That pure intelligence is originally yours. You are born with it. Nobody can give you intelligence. Knowledge can be given to you. Absurd narratives can be given to you, but not intelligence. Intelligence is your own sharpened being. Through deep meditation, one sharpens one's being. Through meditation, one drops borrowed thoughts, drops all false narratives, and reclaims one's own being, reclaims one's originality, reclaims one's childhood, innocence, and freshness. Out of that freshness, when you act, you act out of understanding. And then the response is total, here and now. And the response is because of the challenge, not because of a government's false narrative. Try to find your hidden understanding, and the way is to drop thinking. Each child is born as a very, very open phenomenon, utterly intelligent. But we jump upon them. We start destroying their intelligence. We start creating fear in them. You call it teaching. You call it making the child capable of coping with life. You create more fear in them. They then begin to lose their intelligence. And your schools, colleges, universities, they all make them more and more unintelligent. They demand foolish things. They demand foolish information to be crammed in which the child and their natural intelligence cannot see any point. For what? That child cannot see the point. Why cram these things in? Remember, I am not against education. I am only against these forms of so-called education. Therefore, we must ask the question on critical race theory. 
This world can become such a great, intelligent world if individuals are allowed to be themselves, helped to be themselves, supported in every way to be themselves, and nobody comes in and interferes. In fact, nobody manipulates the child. Intelligent people always trust themselves. Their trust is absolute about themselves. How can you trust anybody else if you cannot even trust yourself? Remember, meditation is needed only to undo what society has done to you. Meditation is negative. It simply negates the damage. It destroys the illness. And once the illness is gone, your well-being asserts itself on its own accord. Intelligence is to make the utmost use of the present moment that is available. The future will come out of it. If this moment has been lived in delight and joy, the next moment is going to be born out of it. Intelligence has to spread all over your life. It is not a Sunday thing. It is an everyday thing. And you cannot do it for 20 minutes and then forget about it. Intelligence has to be just like breathing. Whatsoever you are doing, small or big, whatsoever it can be done intelligently. So be intelligent. Bring in the quality of intelligence. And the more intelligent you become, the more capable you will be of bringing more intelligence into your life. Each single moment can become luminous with intelligence. Because your son Jesus wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. We know that you will bring comfort and help to those lives that have been broken by the news of the death of Sergeant Redwood. May you tenderly hold Brett's loved ones, his family and all those who weep this day. Keep them in the dark days ahead and by your spirit bring them peace and hope. Every mission, every second of every day, right until the last moment. We want you to know that we would give our lives for you. You pay the ultimate sacrifice for us, and we are forever in your debt. Until we meet again, our father, our brother, our hero, forever the man we all strive to be. This stops when we want it to stop. The moment enough Australians say that's it, it's over from today. Tools down, make whatever excuse you need to, stress leave, holidays, long service, whatever. Close it down and just get yourself through the Christmas. Shut down the country, make it ungovernable up until Christmas and you'll be fine. What happens at Christmas, Ricardo? Watch this face. Lieutenant Colonel Ricardo Umberto Guerrilla, and a face like this, you're going to be wondering whose fucking side was he on? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's just quick, quickly start. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Woo! Now it's good to start with a prayer, but a prayer is not enough. We have work to do. 
the good news is I'm a praise the Lord and pass the ammunition type of Christian. So we're going to need a lot of ammunition. Now, why do we start with a prayer? We have unconstitutional governments. They have no authority to make any laws. We know this. We have a treasonous bureaucracy that is directed by foreign powers. We have a compromised judiciary and their lust for children is only exceeded by their desire for cocaine. We have a cowardly military that are answering directions from overseas. The leadership of our police forces is utterly corrupted. We have a foreign-owned media and a foreign-owned academia that is changing this nation to their desires but not ours. We have business and unions trading and profiting with the same Chinese Communist Party that is currently killing our people. They make billions while we die. Communism it is not an ideology for the working class. It is a control mechanism by the globalists to enslave you. That's all communism is. Now, how do we know this? They had their plans up decades ago. And let me just give you a small taste of what their plans were back in the 50s. So for 70 years, they've been doing this. This is how we got here. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to do away with all loyalty oaths. They wanted to capture one or both political parties. Well, they've done that. They got control of schools. They softened the curriculum. They got control of the teachers' unions to put the party line into the curriculum. They gained control of all student newspapers. They used student rights to foment public protests. Now, this is 1950s, people. How long have we been suffering under these directions? Gain control of key positions in radio, TV, motion pictures, infiltrate and gain control of the more unions. Discredit the family as an institution and encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Emphasize the need to raise children away from the negative influence of their parents. This is what has been imposed upon us for 70 years and we didn't know. But I'll tell you who did know. This document is an Australian federal government document. It is a report by the Senate Committee on Defence and Foreign Affairs. It is dated February 1980, and it is called The New International Economic Order Implications for Australia. So since at least 1980, and this document says that we have to strip our sovereignty, strip our economy, strip our autonomy, our self-reliance, and hand it to somebody else. And what this document means is that every government Every Prime Minister, every leader of the opposition, every Senator has been complicit in the betrayal of our country. This is about tyrannical control of enslaving us, killing us and then handing the land back to somebody who thinks they own it. Well I've got some bad news for them and some good news for us. We're not going to let them do it.
but we have to do it. We can't let anybody else do it. We have to win our own victory. We have to win our own freedom. All of us together. Now we don't need everybody, we just need enough. Now, what's our intention? Our job, our mission is to save Australia. Very simple, save Australia. And that's every Australian, and we don't care where you came from. You're all Australians here. How are we gonna do it? We need to empower every individual Australian to stand up for themselves. That's the only way we can win. Every one of us stands up. Every one of us. All of you here are awake. You know it. By your example, you've got to start bringing the rest of the country with you. Because we're not enough yet. We need millions to stand up and say, no more. We are going to bring this country to a standstill. Nothing will move. Nothing will move without our say-so. And we have to do it. We are going to down tools and just stop work. From this moment on, until we win. Don't go back to work. You ring up, take sick leave, stress leave, whatever you need to do. Don't turn up to work. They can't sack you, they won't sack you, and if they do, by next year you'll be back in employment. We must do this from today. So from today, Australia is now on strike. No one goes back to work. Has this worked before? Yes. They don't turn up, and guess what happens? Within a few hours, the company says, please come back to work. When you realise the power you have and how quickly you can end this, you won't believe it. This is over when we say it's over and I reckon we should start today. This ends when we say it ends and I say it ends now. Ladies and gentlemen, from today, Australia is on strike until those bastards get out of our lives. Thank you very much. So welcome back ladies and gentlemen. Now that last soundbite you heard was of retired Lieutenant Colonel Ricardo Bosi, former adjutant to the Special Air Service Regiment here in Australia, was recorded as giving his speech last weekend at the rally in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. Now an article that was published on the 19th of October this year seems to have not got very much traction even on alternate media, which I find very surprising especially when it's by none other than a very, very well-known and respected doctor here in Australia, Dr. Judy Wileyman, who we mentioned a few months back in one of our earlier podcasts. The article's titled, Doctors are Complicit in Crimes Against Humanity, and she is quoted as saying, Doctors are complicit in crimes against humanity. So it is the education and regulation of doctors that is preventing doctors from practicing medicine with integrity in 2020 and 2021. The Government Therapeutic Goods Administrator, the TGA, of Drugs and Vaccines in Australia states that COVID-19 vaccines are the following. Point one, 
experimental and include new untested genetic technology. Hence, these drugs only have provisional approval and are not fully approved for use in humans. Point two, the vaccines are not safe. Millions of injuries have been recorded by global government regulators, including anaphylaxis, thrombosis, and coagulation disorders, such as blood clots, infertility, heart problems, such as myocarditis and pericarditis, neurological damage, such as cognitive decline, strokes, paralysis, convulsions, seizures, and well over 100,000 deaths. Point three, there are on average more deaths per day to the COVID vaccines than the COVID-19 disease itself. Point four, the vaccines are ineffective. They do not prevent you getting or dying from COVID-19 disease, and they do not prevent transmission of the virus in the community. Hence, they are a drug and not a vaccine under the WHO's definition of a vaccine. Point five, they have only been tested to see if they reduce the symptoms and not to see if they prevent disease. Point six, they are unnecessary because 99.9% of people under 70 years of age develop immunity through mild or asymptomatic infection. Our immune system develops natural herd immunity in the community through this exposure and the most detrimental action that any government can take is to quarantine healthy asymptomatic people. This hinders the control of infectious diseases in the community. Hence, Sweden did not lock down its population and the World Health Organization did not provide any evidence that asymptomatic people were at risk to the community in March of 2020 when they used this strategy for the first time in history. Point seven, the injection is not specific for COVID-19 disease and the synthetic spike protein that is produced by our cells upon exposure to any coronavirus is toxic to the human body. This includes the development of autoimmune diseases, blood clots and infertility. So ladies and gentlemen, did you see this information reported in the mainstream media? Well, the answer to that is obvious, no. Welcome to 2021, where the medical industry uses framed and manipulated statistics, emotional labels and anecdotal evidence in the mainstream media to inform you about any drug that they have labelled a vaccine. The removal of both scientific evidence and balanced discussion of vaccines in the media has occurred over decades, and we now have a situation where labels and biased information are being used to manipulate your thinking about these drugs. Drugs that are being mandated for healthy people in genetically diverse populations. This fraudulent promotion of a medical intervention was cemented in 2009 when a government board was set up in Australia to regulate doctors on the accepted science for vaccine promotion. This federal government agency is called the Australian Health Practitioners Regulatory Authority or the AHPRA and it is both a government agency and an Australian incorporated business which by the way ladies and gentlemen has a bloody ABN. Figures 78685433429. In other words, this board controls the knowledge doctors can promote on vaccines and it influences the design and promotion of government vaccination policies. This board has the power to deregulate doctors and health professionals who make a different risk assessment of vaccines to that provided by the government regulatory board. Medication for healthy people affects their quality of life and it is doctors who are trained to assess the medical literature for risks and benefits. 
The AHPRA board has a serious conflict of interests in the regulation of doctors' knowledge and vaccines, and doctors cannot speak the truth to power if they can lose their livelihoods for doing so. The risks of vaccines associated with our genetics are now being described as anti-vaccination material and doctors are threatened with deregistration by the AHPRA for providing this medical literature to their patients. This includes contraindications to vaccines that have been practiced for 40 plus years but have now been arbitrarily removed. Hence, doctors are now violating the first principle of medicine because they cannot promote their patients' best interest first. That is, drugs and vaccines must be given to individuals with advice regarding their own individual circumstances and genetics. This is a key factor in health outcomes with respect to drugs and when violated doctors are no longer promoting health in the community. They are promoting sickness and death because many illnesses are linked to our family history and genetics. The Australian government has now indemnified doctors to give these experimental injections to their patients, injections that are documented to cause serious known and unknown harm in patients. Taxpayers, that means us, will be paying for our doctors to inflict this harm and death on patients without fully informed consent due to government mandates that remove our jobs and right to travel if we refuse. Over the last few decades, doctors have been educated in pharma-funded medical schools with industry-funded science. They are taught that anyone who discusses the ingredients of vaccines, the drugs, or the serious risks of vaccines is an anti-vaxxer and a conspiracy theorist. The same bullshit that we're dealing with from what happened during the swine flu back in 2008, ladies and gentlemen. This same opinion is provided to the public in the corporate-sponsored mainstream media to denigrate any scientific discussion of the risks of these drugs that are given to healthy people. Mainstream media has always been a tool to manipulate public behavior, and when the US Congress removed liability from pharmaceutical companies for any harm caused by any drug labeled a vaccine in 1986, because they were paying millions of dollars in compensation for deaths and injuries, this enabled Big Pharma to minimize the risks of these drugs and to exaggerate the benefits, i.e. life-saving products, without providing evidence for these claims. In 2021, this dismissive ridicule by authorities reached a new low when the Western Australian Premier, Mark McGowan, disrespectfully told approximately 5,000 Western Australian parents and grandparents at a rally opposing mandatory jabs for jobs to grow a brain and he stated that this is about medicine and saving lives. This statement by this Premier is simply untrue when you ignore the genetics of the population. So high school science students can tell the Premier that a mandatory drug vaccine in a genetically diverse population will cause death and sickness in a significant proportion of the population. Mark McGowan should be removed from his role as Premier for his contempt for the people he serves and for putting the public's lives at risk with false health information. Politicians, media and doctors are using labels to convey a belief about vaccines and to stigmatise critical thinking and this is done without providing any supportive evidence for the implied meanings the words are given. This strategy has been used to support the expansion of national vaccination programs from 1986 to 2021. Since 1986, beliefs that are not evidence-based have been promoted by the media, politicians and doctors by using the following words to promote public health policy. Vaccines. Drugs that have rare side effects and are necessary to control infectious diseases. 
Both claims are untrue. The next one, infectious diseases. Relabeled as vaccine-preventable diseases since 1986 to imply that they can be prevented with a vaccine. Then we have vaccination programs, falsely labeled as immunization programs. It is known that many vaccinated people do not get immunity after a vaccine is given and they still get the disease. Next, catch-up schedules. They are not catch-up schedules because most older Australians did not have these vaccines and were never at risk from these diseases. Anti-vaxxer, a derogatory term used to describe an educated parent or professional that discusses the risk-benefit analysis of vaccines or ingredients of vaccines. Knowledge of these criteria are necessary to promote healthy outcome from vaccines, yet they are ridiculed. Conspiracy theory, derogatory term used to dismiss the serious conflicts of interest in every aspect of global health policy designed by the WHO and GAVI, GAVI Alliance and national vaccination policies designed by governments. This is a political situation and it is the influence of corporate money and the political and economic decisions of governments that has led to doctors, governments and the media collaborating to commit a serious crime against their populations by falsely advertising an experimental genetic technology as a vaccine. This is again, ladies and gentlemen, the same bullshit that Pfizer pulled in 2007 to 2009 with the H1N1 when they ended up having to pay $2.3 billion in damages. And I mentioned that also in an earlier podcast. I believe that that one was episode number two. And that's the fourth time they've done it. So now this is the fifth time in a decade that Pfizer's done this, ladies and gentlemen, because make no mistake, Pfizer is the company that is the head of this experimental gene therapy rollout worldwide. They're the ones that are controlling all the governments. And then effectively, their board of directors, you have to be asking, who are those people answering to? Well, we've already mentioned Vanguard, BlackRock and State Street. But again, the tip of the tree, it's Vanguard. People, including health professionals, are walking into their own deaths and illnesses due to the false and misleading health information that is being provided by the powerful medical industry complex to politicians. This corporate health model has monopolized doctors, industry-funded research institutions, politicians, and the mainstream media to educate the public about the risks of vaccines, a situation described as agnotology in the academic literature and if doctors were not gagged by the AHPRA, their government corporate regulatory board, it would not have been possible to violate their medical ethics and commit this crime against humanity that will destroy the genetic fabric of society. I mean, you just cannot make this stuff up, ladies and gentlemen. You just cannot. When is it going to bloody well end? I mean, this is just going from bad to worse. I mean, that's great that we've got the people that are going to all these rallies and and whatnot, but the problem that I see at the rallies is that nobody is giving you guys anything like the information that we're giving you on this podcast or or these, these podcasts that only started just over a few months ago. It is quite alarming, to say the very least. In fact, we noticed that we were deplatformed recently off SoundCloud. So that's why this podcast has been a bit late in its delivery because we've had serious problems of having to recreate all of the data that we've lost, which is thousands of hours, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to say, but it is thousands of hours of research that goes into to doing all of this stuff because a lot of this has come from our own archives. Some of it going back to the Port Arthur massacre of 1996 and the Black Hawk disaster of 1996. Absolutely crazy. Senator Hansen. Thank you very much. Well, I want to talk today about a few facts that needs to be 
um, cleared up. Now, yesterday on the floor of Parliament, Senator Jackie Lambie made, Lambie made comments in her speech with regards to, to the vaccination that One Nation is doing it for money and power. This is as far from the truth as it possibly could be. Our stance is about the rights of the Australian people to have a choice, a choice of whether they actually get the vaccination or not. Many Australians have been forced to have this vaccination against their will in order to keep their jobs. That is the fact. Also, Senator Roberts and I would have are highly regarded for our integrity and our honesty. Through, Jack, Mr, um, through Senator Lambie's comments, she's also made a statement yesterday that we released one nation, Senator Roberts released her phone number. Well, let me just state the facts because the media aren't prepared to do it. And also, um, it was stated that we released her private number. Well, it's not the case. You see, that was number was put out on a letterhead in 2014. That number was used in a Facebook page post on April the 17th and April the 19th, posted by her on her Facebook, calling for people to contact her on that number in order to put signage up in their house yards. That was a public number. It was a number that she used to tell a constituent that she totally opposed COVID vaccinations. It was a matter of choice. Well, what a flip-flop she's done because that's not exactly what she said on the floor of parliament yesterday. So she's telling her constituents something different in Tasmania to what she says in the Canberra bubble. So I believe that Ms. Senator Lambie has misled parliament and I won't wear it because I will not be accused or allow Senator Roberts for an untruth to be told. And I expect the media to get their act together and print the truth and put, tell the people exactly what happened. I of all people, I understand the privacy of a phone number because I've been through a hell of a lot more over the years than what Senator Jackie Lambie has been done. And I see this as nothing as crocodile tears and having a go at One Nation again. And I won't stand for it. What happened yesterday, I'm disgusted with Senator Wong and Senator Birmingham because I believe it was colluded to allow her the time to actually make her statement. We had no idea what was happening. And there we were actually tried, they tried to deny us access to actually responding to this. So it was stated on the floor of parliament. Although I've got to say that Senator Birmingham did um, allow um, and he got the case across for Senator Roberts to have a stay, but that's not what they wanted. They wanted to try and discredit us. Let me also now go to about the COVID. Now, yesterday, the public saw the rantings of, um, uh, can, um, I, I've got to say, um, going back to the Facebook page with Senator Lambie, and it's very important for people to know this. She put her speech up on her Facebook page. She's got over 17,500 comments. And isn't it interesting? About 85 to 90% of the people are absolutely disgusted and call her statement as unhinged and childish. Not my words, 
their words, but I can't disagree with them. But then again, one post said, absolutely saddened by your display today, Senator Jackie Lambie, could just, um, just, you just showed how divisive, hypocritical and prejudiced you really are. That's only one post. I suggest people go and have a look at the post because people are absolutely furious about their rights being taken away from them. And who doesn't understand this whole debate, I would say, is Senator Jackie Lambie when she talks about choice. And I will inform her, people are not given a choice. People are denied the right to work. They're losing their jobs, losing their businesses. They can't go in the health profession. These are the heroes of last year that were patted on the back for the work they did, unvaccinated, mind you, but now they can't. Let me also go to now a medical health centre um, in South Australia. It says, we'll, it will continue to offer our services to patients who are, who are fully vaccinated. But it says those patients who are not vaccinated will need to book a phone consult and pay a gap different of $20. So, you know, doesn't matter what your health issue is. You, you possibly need to see a doctor, but don't come near us. You're not vaccinated. This is the vice of in our, in our society. Let me also go to the fact, and I would like to congratulate and thank those senators um, on the floor of parliament who supported my bill. Senator Sam McMahon, Senator Connie Ferravanti-Wells, <clears throat> Senator Rennick, Senator um, Antic, and um, Senator Matt Canavan. Thank you very much for your support and your common sense in standing up for the rights of the Australian people. But let me also tell you now, oh, Keneally's rant that went on the floor of Parliament and carrying on, guess what? She didn't even vote. No vote recorded. She didn't put in her, her money where her mouth was, is it? Did she? And also, I'd like to tell Queenslanders that Senators Amanda Stoker and Senator James McGrath were there. They didn't vote. So where's their stance on this? And they're both up for re-election. I'd like to... Um, Senator Rennick made in his speech a statement that doctors are being... Um, told that they can't um, talk anything that's divisive or anti-vax or whatsoever. And he was uh, ridiculed in the Brisbane Times article by APRA chief, APRA chief Martin Fletcher stating, oh, well, that's not really true, um, saying the agency did not have the power to do register health professionals and adding that its vaccine stance was in line with that of the government. That may be true. But then again, if you read their paperwork, which I have here, and it states here that practitioners must be careful not to discourage their patient or client from seeking vaccination. Practitioners authorised to prescribe and or administer vaccine, but who have a conscientious objection must ensure appropriate referral options are provided for vaccination. So if you can't give it, give it to someone else who is going to give it to them, regardless of doctor-patient. And then we go on to say here, any promotion of anti-vaccination statements or health advice which contradicts the best available scientific evidence from who? What scientists? Are we listening to all science? No, we're not because they shut down. Or seeks to actively undermine the national immunisation campaign. This is what the politicians want for you. 
including via social media, is not supported by national boards and may be in breach of the codes of conduct and subject to investigation and possibly regulatory action. So that means that it states that they will be actually fined or in fear of losing their licenses. Why do you think these doctors are in fear of coming out? They will tell us personally behind the scenes, but they don't want to lose their licenses that they've worked so hard for to work in the best interests of the public, but they're shut down to have an opinion over all this. That is disgraceful that this is allowed to happen. You're covering, covering up. Let's the true science be said. I would like to read now just a, a short thing from um, Nick Cater that was put in, and he's talking about the number of people infected in the past four months of the pandemic in Victoria is four times larger than the number infected in the last 14 months. Neither have vaccines provided the immunity from infection we were led to expect. It provides personal protection against severe illness but will not slow the spread or remove the risk of death altogether. Victorian health authorities remain coy about how many of the 330 people in intensive care were double vaccinated, but the data from more open jurisdictions such as Britain suggests many of them are. The same data also suggests vaccinated people are more likely to spread the virus than the unvaccinated because they might be asymptomatic and not know they have it. The exclusion of the unvaccinated from public places is untenable on public health grounds unless the object is deterrence through humiliation. That's what we're up against. And I say to the members of parliament, go and get your facts, know what you're talking about, stand up for the rights of the Australian people, and we actually have to find the answers, but don't deny them the right to their freedoms to choose, and don't stop them from working in this nation, open, wanting to open up the borders, allow millions to come into the country to take their jobs. Now, one of our listeners from abroad has been kind enough to send us in what I thought was quite a clever poem, which I'm going to read to you. His name is Ronaldo. He says here that thanks for alerting us to Mr. Breidenbach's excellent letter. Uh-oh, those dang ether waves are pulling in a parallel world with alternate lyrics to Neil Young's, quote, Cortez the Killer, close quote. So here it is. He came dancing across the water with his gain-of-function funds cooking bioweapons in the palace of Wuhan. On the shore lay BioNTech, where the centrifuges whirled, with vials of noxious poisons for unleashing on the world. And his comrades gathered around him like the leaves around a tree in their offices of letters, NIH and CDC. And the bureaucrats were dutiful and their dollars sought by all. They offered life and sacrifice so that profits could go on. Fear and hate were leveraged, and war they soon condoned. Researchers worked together, and they sifted through genomes. And they carried out grim experiments using viral RNA, and they killed folks with their vaccines who should be with you today. And I know she's buried there, and she loves me to this day. I pray God gets revenge, somehow or in some way. He came dancing across the slaughter. Fauci, Fauci, what a killer. And so, ladies and gentlemen, Let's take a break. Oliver Stone, hello. Thanks for being with us. Hi, Olivia. How are you? JFK Revisited is released here in Cannes 30 years after the release of your previous Academy Award winning film, JFK, which was a fictional take on that story. Why is now the right time to revisit it? 
I wouldn't say fictional take. I'd say it was a dramatized take on facts that I we had discovered. We were simply sometimes, for purposes of drama, condensing characters, simplifying sometimes. But this was very close. The, the original was pretty uh, pretty accurate, I felt. But we wanted to go back because that film created a furor, and there was the Assassination Records Review Board was created by Congress, which is very rare, an act of Congress, to allow an investi- a third in- official investigation of the film, of, of the murder, excuse me. Uh, and... Uh, it led to a bunch of, uh, a lot of work, 94 to 98, uh, 98, it led to a lot of records being declassified, and people didn't know anything about it, because the American media, frankly, there's a collective memory hole about the assassination, unfortunately, and people are, although people are interested, the media is does not seem to be interested. In other words, the media is more and more corporate controlled and they don't want to take risks. They don't want to upset the apple cart. And I think America has become more conservative, frankly. So this is frustrating. At the t- 2013 was the 50th anniversary of his death, murder. And at that point, I was rather frustrated to see all the official networks, all the official newspapers parroting the same line, the Warren Commission line. We've way past the Warren Commission. There's been more than two investigations since the Warren Commission. A lot of information's come out. The media won't admit it. That this film is a response to that, and it's an angry film, but it's also a measured film. We did a lot of work on it. We have a four-hour version. We did a two-hour version that you saw here at Cannes. It has all the facts we've been able to uncover, and I think that's about as far as we can go in my lifetime anyway, because it's obviously people are dying, they're dead, and the documents are still there. Those that exist, a lot of them have been redacted and destroyed, as we showed in the film. But still, there's other documents that can be released in the future. The FBI concluded that all three bullets struck inside the car. He was hit by the first and the third. The second shot hit the governor. The third shot had tore a large part of the president's head off. The Warren Commission put itself in a straitjacket. They could not possibly allow more than three shots because four shots or more would have clearly indicated conspiracy, and they were not going there. Now, it was standing down under the underpass. On the curve, there was very visible mark where a bullet had struck. A fragment of the bullet scratched my face. Those two films, as you mentioned, the drama and the documentary, are to some extent companion pieces, but very different in their form. One a meticulously researched documentary, the other a drama starring Kevin Costner. Which one did you find more satisfying to make? Well, the obviously the first, the dramatized film is, I'm a filmmaker, and that was a major attempt to interpret this murder for the American people, and it was very successful abroad and in America, too. It was a huge success. I was nominated for awards, and we got two Academy Awards, and it was a very satisfying experience. Of course, time time gives you more perspective, and I'm, there are things I would change if I had to do it again, but I'm happy with it. And this film today is a satisfactory and a triumphant film for me. But it's a smaller audience because documentaries don't get worldwide attention. In 1991, it was a surprise. People were not dealing with the Kennedy assassination. We've tried to keep it in the public mind, in the public eye. And I think this documentary helps to do that. We're selling it very nicely here in Europe. And we'll see where we go. But America will remain a tough market. I have seen that archive footage of Walter Cronkite uh, announcing JFK's death twice already in the festival so far, which just goes to show how crucial that historical moment was. 
Why do you think we are still so fascinated by it 60 years on? Murder is always fascinating. Uh, crime is apparently never ends. The crime, uh, people watch uh, crime series and serial killers and all that. But this is also has a political implication. It's far more serious than, than as I tried to point out, since Kennedy was killed, no American president has crossed certain lines. These lines are into the military sector the, uh, and the intelligence sector for me. Uh, and this is the story. Uh, I'm not interested in conspiracy for its own sake. Although there's plenty of examples in history, I mean, way before America existed, going back to Roman and Greek times and before that, conspiracies are natural. Uh, they make a big deal about it in America because the, the CIA came up with this psychological warfare concept in 1950, early 50s of let's call these people who are questioning us conspiracy theorists and then we will dis discredit them. And that was their terminology. It's PSYOPs. America uh, is pretty good at PSYOPs all around the world. You remember, we're a specialty of ours. So that, it was simply a terminology of dismissal. It doesn't matter to me. This is conspiracy fact because they were conspiracy. It was a, clearly a conspiracy here. And the, the question is who? And, but the more important question is why? And that's what I was trying to point out when Kennedy was changing things and in a positive way. And that reflects on today because those same changes are necessary in the American experience. We have to change our military posture as well as our intelligence agency's posture. They have too much power. What if one bullet made all seven wounds? Arlen Specter, he is the one that gave birth to the single bullet theory. What if one bullet went into Kennedy's back and came out his neck and then went into Connolly's back, uh, piercing the lung, exits from the front of the wrist, goes into his left thigh? Whatever you want, whatever you need, this bullet happily and readily obliges you. It is indeed a magic bullet. Indeed. if. JFK hadn't been assassinated, if his policies had prevailed, what America do you think we would have today? A whole different world, a whole different world. I think his brother was also a progressive. He would have followed. There would have been probably, hopefully, 16 years of Kennedys. And who knows, Teddy Kennedy was another factor. Certainly, they knew this. You know, Roosevelt, he really had a significant effect on the American psyche as well as the economy and made a, a huge difference in World War II. But Kennedy would have had a similar uh, hold on the American public, and it's, and I think we would be less uh, conservative, less violent. I think war breeds more violence and callousness in society. Uh, Kennedy was a man, as he says in the film, a man of peace, because he'd been in war. He'd been a decorated combat uh, veteran. He knew what the meaning of it was. He said himself, you know, you can't follow the generals. You can't believe these generals. You know, he was that kind of man who called the shots as they saw him. He saw it coming. And he says that we do not need a world of Pax Americana, American peace supported by weapons of war, which is where we're at now. We're into a world that's highly rigid and stigmatized by the difference between various enemies that we call them enemies, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. Europe, you're, you're from Europe. Europe is a, in a sense, a captive satellite of the United States. You're under our nuclear umbrella. I don't think any of this would have happened. Uh, if the Kennedy ethos had succeeded. You mentioned that your film, JFK in 1991, prompted action from Congress, a very powerful uh, action there from a, from a film. But today we make, distribute and consume cinema in a different way. Do you think film still has that same power? It should have. 
There's no reason. I mean, the film is, is eternal. I mean, uh, people make films. The Russian Revolution breeded certain films. Uh, freedom movements, South America, here, there, everywhere in the world. America needs to be questioned and shaken up. Questioned above all. And filmmakers uh, need to travel. They need to see the world and understand there's a global perspective here. Too many Americans are looking inward and they stay inside the American bubble. Thank you very much Thank for your time. Thank you, my dear. When Julian Assange appeared at the National Press Club in April 2010 to release a video depicting a U.S. Apache military helicopter killing 18 people, including two Reuters journalists. This particular event, is this is clearly murder. He was hailed in some circles as a hero. We really owe a debt uh, to Mr. Assange and to WikiLeaks. In the months that followed, WikiLeaks released massive tranches of classified and sensitive documents related to the U.S. wars in Afghanistan and in Iraq, as well as more than 250,000 U.S. diplomatic cables. As U.S. intelligence agencies scrambled to deal with leaks on a scale never seen before, Assange rose to worldwide stardom, and for some, infamy. Government secrets, lies, and embarrassing facts, they're all on the web for anyone to see. The story behind the biggest leak in intelligence history, profile on me. Hello, America. <laughs> I'm Julian Assange, founder of WikiLeaks. But with infamy came increased scrutiny for Assange. And by 2012, the walls were closing in. Faced with an extradition order to Sweden for multiple charges, including rape, he found refuge in Ecuador's London embassy. I thank President Correa for the courage he has shown in considering and in granting me political asylum. The Obama administration struggled with the First Amendment issues surrounding charging Assange with crimes related to the disclosure of classified information. The fact is, these documents don't reveal any issues that haven't already informed our public debate. And ultimately declined to do so. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. With the advent of the Trump administration also came new blood to the upper echelons of the Justice Department and national security bureaucracy, and a new, tougher attitude toward Assange. It's time to call out WikiLeaks for what it really is, a non-state hostile intelligence service often abetted by state actors like Russia. This antagonism only intensified when WikiLeaks started publishing ultra-secret CIA hacking tools in March 2017. In response, the CIA repeatedly proposed kidnapping the WikiLeaks founder from the Ecuadorian embassy in London and flying him to the United States. Some senior Trump administration officials and CIA executives even discussed assassinating Assange, according to former intelligence officials. Later in 2017, U.S. intelligence agencies picked up reports that Russian intelligence agents were plotting to arrange for Assange to escape London. Some of the suspected scenarios appeared almost cartoonish, ranging from the lanky Australian hiding himself in a laundry cart to hopping into a Russian diplomat's van and being loaded onto a cargo plane to Russia. The intrigue over an Assange breakout set up a wild scramble among rival spy agencies to position themselves for what might happen. CIA and Trump administration officials prepared for a number of scenarios to prevent Assange from escaping to Russia including potential gun battles with Russian operatives on the streets of London, smashing a car into the vehicle transporting Assange and grabbing him, and shooting out the tires of a plane carrying Assange before it could take off. 
While the kidnapping plot never came to pass, President Trump was briefed and warned that the matter could provoke an international incident. Uh, I know nothing about WikiLeaks. It's not my thing. Other officials, including Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who was, quote, very, very anti-Assange, argued that Assange's case was best handled through overt legal channels. The Attorney General uh, will be involved in that and he'll make a decision. By 2019, the Swedes had dropped their investigation into Assange, but the WikiLeaks founder had also worn out his welcome in the Ecuadorian embassy. Exactly nine years and six days after his first appearance at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., Assange was evicted and released into British custody. That same day, the U.S. government unsealed its initial indictment of Assange. A British judge initially ruled that Assange could not be extradited to the United States, citing a high risk of suicide. But in July, a UK court formally permitted a US appeal to move forward. For now, Assange's legal odyssey appears to have only just begun. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, so welcome back. So last podcast, we informed you we would read out, make public the COVID-19 orchestra, the board of trustees, the names of those killing humanity, those that have financed the research and delivery of these unrestricted bioweapons, aka the COVID-19 experimental gene therapies. As in the words of Dr. David E. Martin, follow the patents is what he said, then you will understand COVID. I suggest you get a pen and a paper and record these names. There's quite a few, and then go and conduct your own research for which you'll be horrified of who these people really are and learn as to why they want all of us dead. One tidbit, their commonality is that they are all Kazarian. So here we are, first on the list, the names of the people killing humanity. And this was compiled, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, with the combined research that we've been doing with Dr. David E. Martin. All of these people that we have protected at one time or another Remembering that earlier on in one of the previous episodes, I've made mention that I worked on what was known as the circuit, which is the elite class of bodyguards in the world, all former special forces operatives. We know these people, their children, in some cases their grandchildren, very, very well. First up, Al Gore, Vice President of the United States, 1993 to 2001, Chairman and Co-Founder of Generation Investment Management, LLP. Two. Andre Hoffman, Vice Chairman of Roche. Three, Angel Garia, QECD. Four, Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Five, Christine Lagarde, President, European Central Bank. Six, Christia Freeland, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Office of the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada. Seven, David M. Rubenstein, co-founder and co-executive chairman, Carlyle Group. Eight, Dustin Moskowitz, Open Philanthropy. For those of you that don't know who Dustin Moskowitz is, he is very close friends and tied into Zuckerberg at Facebook. Number nine, Fabiola Giannotti, Director General, European Organization for Nuclear Research, CERN, which is C-E-R-N. 10, Faker Sibisma, Chairman of the Supervisory Board, Royal Phillips. 11. Her Majesty Queen Rania al-Abdullah, Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. Queen of the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan, Office of Her Majesty Queen Rania al-Abdullah. 12. Hitso Takanaka, Professor Emeritus, Keio University. 
13. Herman Griff, Chief Executive Officer, Chairman of the Board, Spurbank. 14. Jim Hagman, Snabe Chairman, Siemens. 15. Julie Sweet, Chief Executive Officer, Accenture. 16. Klaus Schwab, sure that you're all familiar with him, Founder and Executive Chairman of the World Economic Forum. 17. Kristalina Georgieva, Managing Director, International Monetary Fund, the IMF. 18. El Rafael Reef, President, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, that's MIT, ladies and gentlemen. 19. Larry Page from Google. 20. Lawrence D. Fink, Chair and Chief Executive Officer for BlackRock. 21. Luis Alberto Marino, Member of the Board of Trustees World Economic Forum. 22. Mark Benioff, Chair of Chief Executive Officer Salesforce. 23. Mark Carney, United Nations Special Envoy for Climate Action and Finance, United Nations. 24. Mark Schneider, Chief Executive Officer of Nestle. 25. Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook. 26. Mikesh D. Ambani, Chairman and Managing Director of Reliance Industries. 27. Orit Gediesh, Chairman of Bain and Company. 28. Patrice Motsipi, Founder and Executive Chairman, African Rainbow Minerals. 29. Paula Ingebayer, Ministry of Information, Communication, Technology and Innovation of Rwanda. 30. Peter Brabeck Latmath, Vice Chairman of the Board of Trustees, World Economic Forum. 31. Peter Mara, President, International Committee of the Red Cross, the ICRC. 32. Robert Mercer, Renaissance Fund. 33. Tharman Shanmagaratnam, Senior Minister, Government of Singapore. 34. Thomas Buberi, Chief Executive Officer of AXA. 35. Yo-Yo Ma, Cellist. And 36. Zoomin, Chairman, National Institute of Finance Research. I understand that a lot of you listening to those names are thinking, well, hang on a minute. How can all these people be Kazarian? Well, that's the easy answer. You have to understand that when China was sacked, when the emperor was completely removed from power, they basically bred themselves in. So the Khazars that came originally from that region known as Georgia, which is the Black Sea of Russia, they have basically married into all of the power groups around the world to maintain not only themselves with their secrecy, but to be able to infiltrate from within over several generations. That is one of the reasons why you see China the way it is. Whilst they may look to be Chinese on the outside, the members of the CCP, be absolutely certain that those people are Kazarian. It is in their blood and they are absolutely 100% controlled. Now we will leave the actual list that'll be in the description box of this episode so that you'll be able to cut and paste, copy it by hand, whichever you choose, so that that way you'll have your own copy. We'll also have the links in there specific to the address that was done by Dr. David E. Martin, along with the link directly to his presentation that goes for approximately 45 minutes, must watch. Now, for those of you that are unsure as to thinking that, oh, well, this name that is being used, the Kazarian Horde, the Kazarian Cabal, the Kazarian Mafia, whatever you want to call it, thinking that it's made up, you better think again. The history of the Kazarians, specifically the Kazarian Mafia, ladies and gentlemen, they are the world's largest organized crime syndicate 
that the Khazarian oligarchy morphed into by the deployment of Babylonian money magic has been nearly completely excised from the history books. Now, I know these people personally, as do my cohort that I work with, because we have protected these people. They are not Jewish in any sense of the word, and that is one thing that gets us also upset, because some of us within our ranks are actually either Hebrew or Israelites. There is nobody in here that is a Khazar. These people are pure evil. They have a history that is nothing but destruction and looting and raping and pillaging. It is a very, very gruesome history nonetheless. But the present-day Khazarian Mafia knows that it cannot operate or exist without abject secrecy and therefore has spent a lot of money having its history excised from the history books in order to prevent citizens of the world from learning anything about its evil beyond imagination that empowers the world's largest organized crime cabal. And I'm trying to get this information out, sorry, we are trying to get this information out because These are the very people that are controlling and have done for almost 7,000 years. Now, we're not going to go into the detailing of, well, hang on, it's only been 7,000 years because there are certain things that we are finding very difficult to explain to people because most people still think COVID is real. So if they think that COVID is real, there's not much hope in them learning the truth of, well, hang on a minute. Why did the Khazarians only have a history that goes back approximately 7,000 years? Why is it that they've only been causing trouble and destroying everything for 7,000 years? And that is certainly a come to Jesus moment that'll be for just about all of you that A, that have never heard of this group, and B, one of the many that go around yelling out the words conspiracy theory or pointing the finger towards people like myself or those within our cohort as conspiracy theorists. Fortunately though, There is an awakening that is taking place, although it can't happen soon enough. But let's just say that you're going to have many come to Jesus moments between now and next Easter. So on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to discuss another issue tonight, which is the excess deaths point to depopulation agenda. So we'll see you on the other side of this break. It's the 22nd of November 2021 and this is the moment when the jabbing has to stop. A couple of hours ago, Darren Smith, the editor of the excellent Light Paper, sent me a paper from the medical journal Circulation, which proves that the COVID-19 jabbing experiment has to stop today. I believe that any doctor or nurse who gives one of the mRNA COVID jabs after today will in due course be struck off the appropriate register and arrested. The journal Circulation is a well-respected publication. It's 71 years old, its articles are peer-reviewed, and in one survey it was rated the world's number one journal in the cardiac and cardiovascular system category. I'm going to quote the final sentence of the abstract which appears at the beginning of the article. This is all I, you, or anyone else needs to know. Open quotes. We conclude that the mRNA vaccine dramatically increases inflammation on the endothelium and T-cell infiltration of cardiac muscle and may account for the observations of increased thrombosis, cardiomyopathy and other vascular events following vaccination. Close quotes. That's it. That's the death bell for the COVID-19 mRNA jabs. The endothelium is a layer of cells lining blood vessels and lymphatic vessels. T-cells are a type of white cell. We always knew these jabs were experimental. 
My video in December 2020, just under a year ago, warned about these specific risks. I read out a list of possible adverse events published officially by the American government. But now we have proof of the link. The mRNA jab is, remember, known not to stop people catching COVID-19, and it is known not to stop people spreading it. I don't believe anyone disputes these facts now. And yet, vast numbers of deaths and serious injuries have occurred among people who have been jabbed. Look at the item headed, update, how many are the vaccines killing? The list on my websites. It's a horrific list. Now we have the evidence we need to stop the jabbing programmes. In the survey quoted, a total of 566 patients aged 28 to 97 were tested. These were not children, these were adults. The tests were, the number were equally divided among men and women. Open quotes, at the time of this report, close quotes, says the author, open quotes, these changes persist for at least 2.5 months post second dose of vaccine, close quotes. At the very least, the use of these jabs must stop now, immediately, until more long-term tests are done. If there were any journalists left in the mainstream media, this news would be lead item on all TV and radio programmes and be on the front pages of all newspapers. Thank heavens for free speech platforms such as BNT, which enable me to bring you this news. I've said all along, for a year, that this jab was an experiment certain to kill and injure. We've always known that to experiment on people without their full consent and understanding, after disclosing all the risks and potential side effects, is a crime. Now the evidence exists that must stop this experiment. If the Covid jab experiment continues after today, then we know for absolute sure that this is not a medical treatment, it's a cult. So, ladies and gentlemen, Australia has recorded 11 times more deaths in eight months following Covid-19 vaccination than it has deaths following every other vaccine combined in over 50 years. Serious questions have been raised as to why medicine regulators have not pulled the COVID-19 vaccines from distribution to the general public after data on the Australian government's site revealed that there have been 11 times as many deaths reported as adverse reactions to the COVID-19 vaccines over a period of eight months than deaths reported as adverse reactions to every other available vaccine combined over a period of 50 years. The Department of Health and Therapeutic Goods and Administration, the TGA, is the medicine regulator for Australian government and as part of the Department of Health, the TGA regulates the quality, supply and advertising of medicines, pathology devices, medical devices, blood products and most other therapeutics. However, a Freedom of Information request made by Doctors for COVID Ethics back in February of 2021, earlier this year, revealed that the TGA never saw the extremely limited study data for the Pfizer mRNA COVID-19 vaccine prior to granting it emergency approval and then deeming it safe to be injected into the arms of all Australians. 
the TGA originally attempted to suppress the FOIA request by requesting a six-month extension in view of the amount of work required to respond satisfactorily. But after a complaint was made to the Office of the Information Commissioner, the TGA responded confirming that they had never seen nor requested the patient data from Pfizer and simply accepted Pfizer's report of their study as fact, despite their proven history of fraudulent claims. And for those of you that have been following us along with these podcasts, go to episode two and that'll fill you in. Pharmaceutical giant Pfizer Incorporated have been fined $3,573,465,793.97. So that's pounds sterling, ladies and gentlemen. So it's $3 trillion, double it into Australian dollars since the year 2000 for over 80 offences or violations. This includes over £26.1 million in kickbacks and bribery offences, £871 million in false claims offences, and £2.5 billion in healthcare-related offences. The TGA's admission that they have never seen the raw trial data for the Pfizer jab prior to granting it approval and Pfizer's scandalous history of fraudulent claims and bribes may go some way to explaining why the TGA have so far refused to pull the COVID-19 injections from distribution to the public despite 6.5 times more adverse reactions and 11 times more deaths being reported due to the jabs over a period of eight months than have been reported to all other available vaccines combined since the 1st of January 1971. The TGA has a database of adverse event notifications that allows visitors to search adverse event reported for medicines, including vaccines. The reports come from a wide range of sources, including members of the public, general practitioners, other health professionals, and the therapeutic goods industry. By searching the database for vaccine and deselecting the four available COVID-19 vaccines with a date parameter of 1st of January 1971 to the 11th of November 2021, the following results can be found. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, those results you are going to want to source this article online, which we will again place in the description box. Over those 50 years and nine and a half months, there have been 76 different vaccines available to the Australian public, excluding COVID-19 vaccines, and there have been 19,205 individual reports to all 76 vaccines combined, including 59 deaths. The TGA state that they think there is a possibility that the available vaccines caused 12,366 of those reported adverse reactions. By carrying out a new search of the database for COVID-19 vaccine with a date parameter of the 1st of December 2020 to the 11th of November 2021, the following results can be found. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I strongly suggest that you go to this article. Before we go into these next results, what's really interesting is that the response that the TGA gave to the person who made the FOIA request It was stated that on the 21st of May this year in 2021, the TGA responded to the email stating, whilst you were previously informed that the scope of the request may have been too voluminous, we have taken considerable extra time to reflect on the precise terms of your request. Your email of 29 April 2021 also assisted in clarifying and narrowing the scope of your request. 
accordingly, particularly having regard to the abjects of the FOIA Act and to the context of your request, including the extraordinary impact of COVID-19 across the world. On this occasion, the decision maker decided to progress your request for documents, notwithstanding that processing such a request may ordinarily have been considered too voluminous, given the size of the one document, 1,145 pages, ladies and gentlemen, failing within the scope of your request In relation to your second query, the TGA now understands that you are seeking documents that confirm whether the TGA requested individual level patient data following the sponsor's application to the TGA for the provisional registration of its vaccine. The TGA confirms that we do not have individual level patent data in relation to this application for provisional registration. That is absolutely bloody remarkable ladies and gentlemen it is just i don't know what to say but moving along the results shows that there have been 81,318 reports made against the available covid-19 vaccines including 656 deaths the tga state that they think there is a possibility that the covid-19 vaccines cause 79.953 of those reported adverse reactions The first COVID-19 vaccine was administered in Australia in February of 2021. This means that there have been 11 times more deaths, 4 times more reports of adverse reactions and 6.5 times more reports of adverse reactions that the TGA suspects were more than likely due to the COVID-19 vaccines than have been reported to all other available vaccines combined over a period of 50 years and nine and a half months. According to the TGA database, the leading cause of death due to the COVID-19 vaccines has been an adverse event following immunization. The second leading cause of death has been dyspnea, which is difficulty breathing, followed by pulmonary embolism, which is blocked blood vessel in the lung, and then cerebrovascular accident, which is a stroke, and then of course, cardiac arrest. And all of that fits in with myocarditis and pericarditis, ladies and gentlemen which we mentioned in a peer-reviewed medical journal that was published in October in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is in one of the previous podcast description boxes. These numbers, ladies and gentlemen, raise serious questions as to why the COVID-19 vaccines have not been pulled from distribution to the public when just four separate vaccines for COVID-19 have caused over 11 times as many deaths in just eight months than 76 separate vaccines combined have caused over a period of nearly 51 years. So it's not surprising that the Indigenous communities in Northern Territory that are now being deliberately targeted by the territory leader up there, Gunnar, are absolutely petrified for their lives because they know exactly what these injections are. They're a bloody bioweapon. And that's not silent knowledge. That is now well articulated and presented in peer-reviewed medical journals across the globe. Yeah, my name's Lompa Jumba Jimba. Some of you know me as David. Um, I'm a descendant of the literature one by people in Central Desert. I also descend from the Scottish and Irish tribes of, of Europe. We are a part of the original Sovereign Tribal Federation. We are part of the community. We are part of the people. And we're standing here united to make, our, make an international call for uh, assistance 
We need international attention focused on what's happening here in our communities. We have the Northern Territory Government force vaccinating our people, pressuring them using military, using foreign military, foreign police officers and local, local military and local police officers to pressure our people into taking this, this bioweapon. They are not informing the people, they are lining them up, they are pressuring them, they are telling them they can't eat in the shops, they can't leave the community, they can't go shopping elsewhere. Those, those who are being forced, those who are fleeing to get food or fleeing from this forced vaccination are actually being fined $5,000 for leaving the community. So this is martial law, this is a war crime, this is a crime against humanity and everything that has been implemented against humanity has been trialled and practised on the tribal people of this continent. We are the guinea pigs. We are the dry run for everything. What they are doing in our community right now, do not think because you live in major cities that you are void of it. This is a dry run for the rest of the country and the rest of the world. They are trialling it on us. They tried the basic card, okay? Your universal income, non-cash non card. Everything gets tried on us. The, the, the New World Order agenda, everything has been trialled and practised on the sovereign tribal people of this continent. What they are doing now is they are forcing this genocidal weapon onto us through coercion, through force, through pressure, through the relief of getting a feed or food or, or getting um, money. They are pressuring us in every way and now they are going in with the military, they are locking down entire communities, they are not letting people in or out, they are, they are protecting their crime by shutting everybody out and they are pressuring and forcing our people to take this bioweapon. Our people are scared, our people are frightened, our people are, are terrorised out there, okay? This is torture. Do not be mistaken, this is torture. And we are calling out for the international community to bring this to the attention of the world uh, Candace Owen, she called it out. She called on the US, why isn't the US military intervening here when they went into Iraq and Afghanistan over lies? Well, we're not lying to you. We're the people on the ground. We are the people watching our people die from this bioweapon. This is truth. This is reality. Do not ignore this cry. Do not ignore this call out. Please, we're asking the international community to please raise the awareness around the world and bring support we need to pressure this government and the Northern Territory government and Michael Gunner, who is pushing this mandate with the police, with the military. This is genocide against the oldest living culture on the planet. This is wiping out the oldest living culture on the planet who you're a part of. Our culture is your culture. Our law is your law. We hold all seven DNAs. When we are gone, the reminder of who we all are to humanity in this planet is gone. So we need you to stand up, show some courage, show some honour, come forward, and help us stop this genocide against our people. Because our people are suffering, our children are suffering. And like my sister said, when the elders are gone, when the parents are gone, what are the children going to have? Nothing. They're going to be removed off the land. This is, a, this is a land grab. This has got nothing to do with health. This is a land grab, and they are using this bioweapon to wipe us out, to get rid of the bloodline, to take over the land. They've stuffed down south. They want the resources. They want the water. This is a land grab. They're coming for everything. They're going to kill us and they're going to wipe out 15 million Australian people to get us in the process. So wake up Australia, wake up world, come to our aid, stand up, expose the criminal genocide that we are being subjected to now and end this now. Or you're going to lose the oldest living culture on the planet. And if we all sit by idly and we don't do anything about this, we're all complicit. So come forward, please. Our people are dying. Right now in Darwin, we have two large 
um, uh, apartment blocks, okay, they are housing commission blocks. Everybody has been told in those blocks, if you do not get the vaccine, you must leave now. So they are stopping our people from the communities coming into town. They are now kicking our people out of housing commission houses because they won't get the vaccination and making them homeless in the city. When they have nowhere to go and they start to act up, they're going to imprison them, okay? So they're using this to get us out of the scene, to wipe us out and to take us out. This is not a joke. This is a serious call out to the world. And we are asking you, as the sovereign, uh, uh, original sovereign tribal people of this land, the ordinary executives and the heads of state, we are asking the world to please come and, and help us. Please pay attention to what's happening and expose this tyranny and this genocide before we die and lose it all. Okay, so welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. That last clip was David Cole, aka Lumpa, giving an update on the genocide of Australian people in Northern Territory, an SOS of the original Sovereign Tribal Federation. Which brings me to my rant to close out the show. For those of you that have taken the jab, that think that this is all real and that you're wearing your face masks, you need to bloody well wake up, you idiots. If you willingly got the genetic modification treatment known as the COVID-19 vaccine, i.e. Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, etc. You were tricked into injecting a harmful, dangerous, unapproved and lethal product into your body. A wholly unnecessary product that does not protect you, does not provide immunity, nor prevent transmission of the virus, but does wreck your immune system, damages your organs, causes blood clots and internal inflammation and renders you more susceptible to many diseases, including cancer. Because you took the vaccine, your body is manufacturing millions or billions of spike proteins. The spike protein is toxic, pathogenic, disease-causing and coagulatory. It causes blood clots. These synthetic spike proteins made by your cells are supposedly identical to the spike protein in the SARS-CoV-2 virus as determined by computer modeling of genetic fragments supplied to the United States from Chinese laboratories controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. That's what your body is producing by the millions or billions confusing the hell out of your immune system weakening its ability to make essential helper T cells and CD8 cells which ward off other viruses and diseases. The lipid hydrogel that coats the fragile mRNA strand in the Pfizer and Moderna shots, as invented by Dr. Rob Malone, contains nanoparticles that cross the blood-brain barrier causing paralysis, uncontrollable convulsions, neurodegenerative diseases, permanent vision loss, spinal damage and more. Hundreds of thousands of people have suffered these side effects or dropped dead within hours or days after getting these bloody jabs. The vaccine manufacturers knew full well about all the potential adverse reactions, ladies and gentlemen. Therefore, the so-called vaccine is a bioweapon. Its only conceivable purpose is depopulation. Even Dr. Mike Yeadon, for Christ's sake, is jumping up and down about this, who used to be one of the former heads of Pfizer. The vaccine has nothing to do with improving your health. It's an instrument of social control, part of the Great Reset, aiming for an authoritarian techno-fascist society where you will own nothing and you'll be happy, as per Klaus Schwab, the director of the World Economic Forum. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, it's not just techno-fascist, it's techno-Bolshevist. You should know, the lockdowns you observe as a key ritual in your new state religion, the Covidian cult, are absurd and have no scientific basis. Your face diapers, i.e. your bloody face masks, are fucking useless. There is no scientific basis to warrant their use. 
but they do increase bacterial diseases in the mask wearer and are especially dangerous for children, blocking the flow of oxygen and potentially injuring their brains. Again, you need to go and listen to Stephen Petty, P-E-T-T-Y, who's a forensic industrial hygienist who specialises in this field. He's already won over 27 court cases across the states, giving evidence on this, ladies and gentlemen. Again, face masks don't bloody work. The fraudulent PCR test is a scam, and we've covered that as well. We've covered all of this in these episodes, ladies and gentlemen. It's incapable of diagnosing any illness or infection, as pointed out by Dr. Carrie Mullis, Nobel Prize winning inventor of the PCR technique. The CDC, the FDA, and WHO have all officially admitted that the PCR test is worthless and can't differentiate between COVID-19 and the seasonal flu or common cold. In other words, it can't tell the difference between shit and french fries. The diagnostic tests being introduced in December to replace the phony PCR test are all emergency use authorization gimmicks, as meaningless as the PCR test itself. The PCR test yields false positives up to 97% of the time. Yet this junk data was and is used as the basis to declare a pandemic and enforce lockdowns, masks, social distancing and mandated vaccines. The powers that be tested your willingness to comply, to be misled, to do irrational, self-destructive things and you obeyed, you fell for it. All of it. You fell for the scamdemic predicated on a respiratory virus that is less dangerous than the seasonal flu, according to government's own statistics. The people whom you label anti-vaxxers or conspiracy theorists are no such thing. They are ordinary people just like you. But unlike you, they used common sense. They used critical thinking. They used bloody discernment. They were not cowed by the mainstream media's 24-7 fear-mongering campaign of lies and disinformation. They did their homework and quickly discovered that the so-called COVID vaccines are a great hazard thousands of times more dangerous than any alleged novel coronavirus. Guess who's exempt from all requirements and mandates to get the COVID-19 vaccine? The following people are totally exempt. All US senators and House representatives, plus all congressional staff, all the people in Australia from the local, the state and the federal members of government, Palachek and her crew, at the time it was Berejiklian, now it's under Peritet, whatever the hell his bloody name is, and then you've got Daniel Andrews and his clown mob, and then Gunner and his mob in Northern Territory, but all the state territory leaders, all of their staff are exempt from these bloody injections. Why is that? Now do you see the elephant in the room, ladies and gentlemen? The pharma-controlled politicians, the vaccine companies, the corrupt CDC and FDA, the TGA, health agencies owned by Big Pharma, the government officials who are forcing the death shots on the rest of us, they are all exempt from getting the jab. Scott Morrison didn't get the injection, ladies and gentlemen. He got saline. The vials are separated into three groups. O1 is saline, O2 is a little bit of this and that, and O3 is the full dose. You need to wake up. If you actually watch closely enough, the needles that they're using with the first vial that has got a 0-1 on it, the saline, it is much thinner and more flimsy than the other two. In order to inject for the other two, you've got to have a more robust needle. They know what's in this poisonous serum and what harm it can do. But you must take it or lose your job. You must get jabbed with a genetic cocktail if you want to go shopping or eat at a bloody restaurant. Do you see how insane and criminal this is? Do you still think it's a crazy conspiracy theory? You are close. It's an insane conspiracy theory, indeed. Hatched by eugenicists like Palachek's father, who's an absolute Nazi, depopulation advocates, super wealthy oligarchs, and one world government proponents over 20 years ago. Oh, and I almost forgot, 
Two million illegal aliens are also exempted from the vaccines by the unelected President Joe Biden that running their asses in, into the United States so that they can flood the country, get bussed or jet-planed to Republican states and spread sickness and death while they receive endless government handouts and vote Democrat. And the Republicans are letting it happen. The same crap is happening here in Australia. If you got the clot shot because of fear of losing your job, then my apologies to you. You are in a very tough situation. If you willingly got the jab, and you're proud of it, like Jennifer Aniston, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dolly Parton, Hugh Jackman, Kathy Hotchul, who's the New York governor, Don Lemon, who's from CNN, Mike Pence, Martha Stewart, Amber Heard, Bruce Springsteen, you know, Anastasia Palachek, Daniel Andrews, Scott Morrison, Josh Friedenberg, Mike Gunner. I mean, th these people are just bloody delusional because they all got saline and there's many more. Then you're an ignorant fool. You're an obedient disciple of the new state religion, Branch Covidian. You fell for an official narrative which has holes in it bigger than moon craters. The official narrative has been demolished, but you were brainwashed and you are still living dangerously in an alternate reality that's been superimposed on the real actual unfolding horror show of escalating tyranny. You need to be deprogrammed. You need to never take another genetic COVID vaccine or booster ever again. You need to tell your friends and family and everyone you know to stay away from these kill shots. Wake up and smell the coffee. It's not too late to remove yourself from the Covidian cult. If you got the kill shot, there are many things you can do to strengthen your immune system and reduce the odds of vaccine-induced disease or death down the road. The unvaxxed are not your enemies. They present absolutely no danger to you, despite the controlled media's blatant lies claiming there's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Just the opposite is true. Tens of thousands of healthy unvaxxed people who've been near the vaxxed are suffering terrible problems, apparently caused by the vaccinated individuals shedding of spike proteins through breath, saliva, perspiration and urine. These very real problems include agonizing menstrual pain, bleeding while pregnant, miscarriages, massive blood clots, severe muscular pain, random bruising all over the body, non-stop migraines, pericarditis, autoimmune diseases, shingles, and even Bell's palsy, facial paralysis. To put it bluntly, the vaccinated are lepers whom the unvaccinated who would do well to avoid prolonged contact with. Many hair salons, beauty parlors, and holistic doctors are now refusing to see anyone who has been vaccinated for COVID-19. The unvaccinated are not your enemies, ladies and gentlemen. Once you realize what's been done to you and why, please come join with the unvaccinated to defeat a common enemy, to expose and punish the monsters who perpetrated this colossal fraud, and to reverse the totalitarian measures that, if allowed to continue, will destroy Australia physically, morally, and politically. And I leave you tonight with a quote from Thomas Jefferson. Enlighten the people generally and tyranny and oppressions of the body and mind will vanish like evil spirits at the dawn of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Gray Stanton, and good night. That's this week's podcast of Life Down Under. Don't forget to join Gray Stanton in two weeks' time for another episode. Thank you for listening.